Hello, Westside Family Church. It is so, hello, Westside Family Church. I know the Chiefs lost last week, but uh, let's do this again. Hello, Westside Family Church. There you go. It's so great to see you here at Speedway and, uh, and Lenexa, those of you watching online. Uh, we're going to continue in our series today, Unshakable, and I want to begin uh, by taking you all the way back to AD 160. AD 160, there was a church father by the name of Tertullian. You may not know about him, but he was one of the church fathers following uh, the disciples and apostles of Jesus. And uh, he recorded an encounter that a group of Roman pagans had with a group of Christians during that time. These Roman pagans were witnessing a small group of Christians coming out of an underground gathering of worship because of persecution during the time. And these Roman pagans saw the believers exiting the underground church and they said, Behold how they love one another. They were captured by it. And what they experienced back in AD. 160 is something that is being experienced today. I mean, it's been true of my life. I know some of you know the story, but I was raised in an unchurched home. My parents never, like zero times, took me to church. And uh, it was when I was a teenager, 14, that uh, a neighbor two doors down invited me to church. This is back in 1974, back when there was no ketchup or anything like that going on. And um, it was during an era where the church was sort of centered around a, like a hellfire and brimstone message. And some of you are old enough to sort of remember that era. And I remember walking into church and sort of experiencing this. And uh, wow. And uh, three days later, I accepted Christ and super excited about that. But I say to people, in a biblical sense, they scared the hell out of me. You know, in a biblical sense, they scared the hell out of me. But that's not why I stayed. Uh, I, the reason I stayed is because uh, I, I had a sense at 14 that I had sort of a, a p possible longevity before I faced the fiery, you know, uh, flames of hell. And so what kept me was exactly what Tertullian wrote about. I began to sit in church by myself and began to observe the people around me, the other students, the families. They would invite me over to their home, and I just recognized that there was something different about them. I found myself saying, behold how they love one another. And I asked myself, hmm, I wonder if I could ever be a part of a family like this. It's actually statistically true that many boys who grow up in an unchurched uh, home who come to church as teenagers end up becoming pastors. The reason is because we're so overwhelmed about the family of God that we can't get enough of it and we decide to like, live here all the time. Yeah, all the time. But this is not only true of AD 160 through the writings of Tertullian or my experience in 1974. A number of years ago when I was pastoring a church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I lived in a neighborhood and we had a, a small group of believers there that would gather together like RA2 groups. And there was a guy who lived across the street from me by the name of Roger Wells. And Roger was a successful sales guy uh, but didn't know Jesus. And every day he would come home at 5 o'clock and get his Jack and Coke and end the day and we'd usually spend some time together. And 
and uh, he got uh, exposed uh, to all of us. And uh, about two and a half years in, Roger becomes a follower of Jesus, and I had the privilege of baptizing him. That doesn't happen very often when a successful business guy has it all together, humbles himself, and becomes a follower of Jesus. And I said to Roger, Roger, when was it? When did it first start dawning on you? He says, oh, Randy, I remember exactly the day. We were out golfing together, me and Roger and our next-door neighbor, Pat Ballou, who was a strong follower of Jesus. And we were walking down the second fairway when Pat's cell phone rang. Now, normally in golf, you don't answer your cell phone on the golf course, but Pat noticed that it was his wife. And he answered the phone, and he said, I merely eavesdropped on their conversation, and I found myself saying, he talks to his wife differently than the way I talk to my wife. He's tender to her. He listens to her. He loves her. What is up with these people? He said, that was the day. He said, I'm going to watch you guys and see how long it lasts. He said, it was that day that I said, behold, how they love one another. This is what we call unshakable community. Unshakable community. That for followers of Jesus, we can be involved in a family of believers that causes stability in our life when the rest of the world is being shaken up. This is exactly the vision that Jesus laid down in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, let me give you a new commandment. Love one another. In the same way I have loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see how you love, have love for each other. Now, I want you to turn to page thir- uh, 24 of your unshakable guide. How many brought your unshakable guide with you? Hold it up over your head. Good, I'm excited. All right, listening to the pastor. Now, some of you uh, who weren't here last week, uh, if you don't have a guide, our team members are coming right now down to just raise your hand and they'll pass out this guide. You're going to need it. It's going to lay out the vision of the church, the notes that you'll need. So just raise your hand and they'll grab one for you. If you forgot your guide or you're watching online, you can download a digital version of that by going to unshakable.church. You'll find it and download it. You're going to need this every single week. So as they're passing that out, I also want to encourage you, if you want to open up the Westside Family Church app, there's also gathering notes there for you and the scriptures that we're going to be talking about today. Now, as they're passing that out, I want you to know that what took place uh, during the first century Uh, in the birth of the church is extremely similar to what we believe God is calling us as a church to enter into. So I wanted to uh, open up the book of Acts where this story is told and walk through it again, refresh ourselves uh, so that we might learn from the first church. And last week when we gathered together, we opened up the book of Acts and came to chapter 1. And there we ran into the resurrected Jesus who is now hanging out with 120 disciples. And he tells them, I want you to stay in this upper room uh, until a gift I promise 
you uh, arrives. And that gift was the secret sauce of their source of power, and that is the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And just like Jesus promised, we saw it last week, the Holy Spirit descends. Now, on Jesus' baptism, it was like a dove, but here, the Holy Spirit is descending like fire, and it takes up residence in these extraordinary men and women who weren't even present at the crucifixion of Christ when he most needed them, and now something has happened to them. It's expressed most vividly when Peter, the leader, uh, goes downstairs, opens up the door, and he gives this amazing sermon that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Sixteen different nations are actually receiving what he is speaking in their own heart language. Something has changed, folks, and on that day, 3,000 people are added to the church. 3,000 people. They went from a small church to the first megachurch in one day. Where are 3,120 people going to gather because there weren't any buildings? There won't be any buildings until A.D. 350. Well, they met in small groups in little homes, honeycombed throughout Jerusalem. So you have a kind of a, a picture representing Jerusalem, and then you imagine adding 100 homes where the church met. It was a distributed model, and Jesus designed it expressly for this purpose. So I want to peer in today to Acts chapter 2 and talk about what I'm calling the unshakable flywheel, uh, the flywheel of how the church is going to do its business. And we get an opportunity to peek into the living room of one of these 100 churches in Acts chapter 2, and we see how uh, this all, all, all unfolded. First of all, we begin with the recognition that the Holy Spirit is at the center of this wheel. The Holy Spirit is the one empowering these extraordinary people extraordinary people to do amazing things. And then we see in verse 42 that these early disciples devoted themselves to a couple of things. It first of all tells us that they devoted themselves to fellowship and the breaking of bread. What does that mean? It means that they became a family. They devoted themselves to gathering together, to fellowship, to sharing a meal, all centered around the person of Jesus Christ. So they were a community. Number two, we discover in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer. That same group of people who are now becoming a family are not staying the same people they were. They're increasingly becoming more and more like Jesus as they engage in the word of God and as they trust God through prayer. They are becoming more like Jesus. And then we discover, as you skip down to verse 45, that their generosity overflowed right out of them. It says that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, not only people inside of the church, but people uh, in the neighborhood right around them. And then the whole paragraph ends by saying, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church simply met people at their point of pain and those people, when they experienced this healing, this encounter with this small body of believers, they wanted to become a part of the family. And it says that God is the one who added them. But this didn't happen just every now and again. We are told in Acts chapter 2, this was happening 
every single day. So this completion of the circle where people experience healing, become a part or belonging to the body of Christ is happening every day. And this is how the church begins to spin out of control, beginning with this marginalized poor guy by the name of Jesus, spreading to 12 knuckleheads called the disciples, spreading then to 120 to 3,120 on one day. And by AD 350, before there are any church buildings, the church had reached 33,882,008 people, or 56.5% of the entire Western world population. And today, that that wheel continues to turn where there is an estimated 2.4 billion followers of Christ in the world. What I want to do is peer a little bit deeper into their generosity, what I'm going to call unshakable generosity, and make a couple of points. First of all, God has hardwired us for community. God has hardwired us for community. It is in the very design so that no one is exempt. Everyone needs community. We go back to the first page of the Bible where God created Adam, the prototype for who we are today, and we realize he built into our wiring a need, an absolute, not just a want, but a need for community. It says, God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. He wasn't kidding. Uh, a number of years back, I, I did uh, some serious research, spent all my time researching the impact of, on people's life who have community to those who do not have it. And I, uh, the research, literally, if we were to stack it, would, um, would, would come up to my eyeballs. And I recorded the top research in a book called The Connecting Church and later in a book called Making Room for Life. Roseanne added her voice to it and it was re-released under the title Real Simplicity of the amazing, undeniable research that it is not good for the man to be alone. One of them that I will point out is this. It's a well-documented study that shows that social isolation, social isolation contributes to illness and death Social isolation contributes to illness and death as much as smoking. Did you know that? So if you must smoke, for goodness sakes, don't do it alone. <laughs> what the scriptures is teaching us is that this is critical. And here's the deal. You have to work hard at it. It doesn't just come your way. You have to be intentional about it. And if you're not working on it and you find yourself in a place lacking the kind of healthy community God intended for you, it is literally going to lead you to a place of mental, emotional, and physical illness. And it's going to take you out earlier than otherwise you would have been taken out. Now, I want you to also notice that a community that is centered around Jesus is different than any old community or group of belonging because it doesn't exist for itself. Yes, it ministers to the people in the circle, but a distinguishing characteristic of a Jesus-centered community is that it exists beyond itself. You will notice in Acts 2 that their generosity flowed from what God was doing inside of them. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The focus is not on what you give to, but where the giving is coming from. This is important to take this. It's not so much important where the believer is giving the money to 
as much as it is is where it's coming from. It's coming from an interflow of devotion to God. As they individually and collectively grew in their relationship with God, their generosity poured out more and more. As they took in more of Jesus, their generosity flowed more and more to other people. And we learned this axiom for the church today. We focus on our devotion and God will take care of the attendance. He will be the one who adds to our number daily those who are being saved. Our focus must be on our increased devotion to him as he's growing more and more and taking over more and more of us individually and collectively on the inside. Our generosity will flow and thus we will fulfill the mission of God. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 29. Now, I asked you, well, I didn't ask you last week to do this. I just put up Acts 29, and after the service, a wonderful Westsider came back to the green room, and she said, Pastor Randy, Pastor Randy, you're making a mistake. I'm embarrassed for you. There is no Acts 29. The book of Acts stops at chapter 28. What seminary did you go to again? You know, she was being so kind and nice. I said, I forgot to tell the people there is no Acts 29. In the Bible, Acts 28 is the completion of the story of the church in the first century. Acts 29, well, that's our chapter. That's where we come into the story because the church is not done yet. The story continues, and we are not focusing, as God has revealed to us, our energy on growing the church numerically. This is not what God is asking us to do. We entered into a season of, four, of 40 days of prayer and fasting, and I, and I knew that God was going to give me the same message he'd given me for the 34 years. Focus on growing the church numerically. And he said, I don't want you to do that. I want you to go back to the, the, to the blueprint of Acts chapter 2 and focus the people's attention on their communal devotion to me And let me add to your number daily those who are being saved. And so we are entering into this season without a gargantuan strategy on how to grow numerically the church. We're entering into a season where we're focusing our energy on increasing our collective devotion to God. Believing that there will be unprecedented amounts of compassion and generosity flowing out of us. I have learned over doing this for 34 years coming this February that when we focus on attendance, we always downplay devotion. And so we're going we're gonna to go after it. Now, if you're taking notes down, write this down. We believe unshakable community is what is needed today. We believe unshakable community is exactly what is needed today. Acts chapter 17, we talked about this last week, I believe. Uh, We are told that you and I are here in 2022 in Kansas City by the express order of God. Uh, I had a a, a member of my church in San Antonio text me who attends Westside every Sunday morning. He said, Randy, after hearing your message, I now recognize how painful it was when you left Texas. But now we are seeing why God has you here to contribute to what he wants to do. But here's the deal. Let's put a map up of Kansas City. Kansas City is a big, overwhelming place, right? Two million people. Did you know, however, that in Kansas City, the number one thing that people searched for this year and last year on the internet was for community? Kansans are lonely people. 
And how is a church like Westside? Yeah, we're a large church, but how could we possibly make a difference in a city this big? Well, we took and plotted all of the households of Westsiders in Kansas City, and this is what it looks like. Yeah, uh-huh. Now it's not feeling so overwhelming, right? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So let's take this down a little smaller. Let's, let's drill down to an area called Prairie Ridge. These are people, maybe some of you live there, is an area that if you have children or if you had children, they would go to Prairie Ridge Elementary School. Okay, so this is a place that has 1,142 homes, okay? It's a little bit smaller than 2 million. The question is, how many Westsiders do we have there? Well, take a look at this. You say, how many is that? That is 673 homes belong to Westsiders against 1,142. That is a ratio, a percentage of 58.9% of all people who live in Prairie Ridge attend Westside Family Church. That is a ratio better than one out of every two. Now we've got it down to people who live in Prairie Ridge. If every one of you will just focus prayerfully on one other person, it's game over. It is game over. Isn't it amazing? Take maybe Manchester Park. That's pretty dense, okay? Manchester Park has a similar amount of homes in it, a bit larger uh, than Prairie Ridge. Those of you who live in the Manchester Park area, we have 609 households that belong to Westsiders, which is still one out of every four homes. We break this down, and all of a sudden, this becomes extremely doable. The question that we've asked ourselves is, what if? What if Westsiders intentionally came together, devoting themselves to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, devoted to the apostles' teaching and prayer, and then allowing their generosity to flow to people in need? We believe, like in the first century, uh, we believe that our focus should be on creating these smaller acts to communities, which is why some of you scratch your head and say, why do they call their small groups A2 communities? Is because it refers to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, so that when you want to explain what these smaller communities are commissioned to be all about, you take and read that passage of Scripture because Listen to me, folks. Everything, everything that Westside does is embedded in the Word of God. Everything that we do is embedded in the Word of God. But now we want to add a new element to it. Okay, we have the small groups called A2 communities, Acts 2 communities. But now we want to add a new layer called area community. So those of you who live in the Prairie Ridge area, we want to create a west side area community called the Prairie Ridge community. Those of you who live in Manchester Park, we want to create the Manchester Park area community. And the idea is that we will bring on a shepherd, a couple who lives there from the church that is devoting their time to being an area shepherd for you in your needs in mobilizing you to uh, in that community. That area community will consist of 10 or more smaller A2 groups. It'll consist of deacons who are trained to handle benevolence in that community. It'll include Stephen's ministers who have been trained to come alongside of people inside the smaller communities 
families and people who don't yet belong and provide long-term care and prayer for them, as well as a host of people like you and I who will use our God-shaped gifts to do whatever we need to do to take care of the area we're belonging in. And the notion or the idea is that the group of people live in that area said, you don't need to worry about this area. No one falls through the cracks under our watch in the name of Jesus. And we plan to stand these area communities up beginning in January, and we're going to tell you more about that. And the very first one is going to be Prairie Ridge, right? And then we'll go Manchester Park, and we'll continue to do it in the areas surrounding our campuses at Westside, uh, Lenexa, and Westside Speedway. We're going to continue to do it. But what we found out is that there are people who are not waiting. They're like, we're not going to wait for that. We're going to jump in like right now, we're gonna do it. I want you to listen to this story. So we ended up at Westside. Uh, Bob is 100% Canadian and I'm American. And so recently moved to Kansas City, say three years ago, about the time we got married. And my best friend went to Westside, and she said, and she lives in Blue Springs, and she said, I have this great church, because I was concerned about where we would go. And um, I said, okay, she said, it's kind of a drive. And I said, oh, okay, like how far? And she's like, well, like 35 minutes. We're like, okay. And we came, and uh, anyway, we've been here ever since. Well, we joined uh, an A2 group. Turned out to be a really good bunch. We've really enjoyed it the last year. Taught a little Bible study there last winter, and uh, that's been really awesome. Our A2 group currently, it was in Overland Park, and now it keeps moving like further and further away for just various reasons. And so Bob and I were having this conversation like, boy, are we going to keep driving like further and further, and um, really not even kind of considering the possibility that we could plant an A2 group in, in Lee Summit. One of the things that we didn't realize was there's a lot of other people that come to uh, Westside that live uh, in Lee Summit or further east than here. We thought we were the only ones. You know, everybody else is from Kansas and we're the only Missourians uh, that, that come, but that's not the case. So we got together with, uh, with Brad and started talking about the possibility of starting an A2 group out there. One of the things that we're always reminded of is that God hasn't changed. His plan is moving forward. His uh, church is moving forward. And we want to stay part of that. And we don't want to allow the things that happen in the world to change up what we think we want to do and, and, and uh, make us withdraw from that. We want to keep moving forward with his plan. The Lord is talking to me and saying, I need you to spend time in the Word every day. I need you to ask me for direction every day. And I have plans for you that you may not have considered. And they're more interesting and exciting than any ideas maybe you've had. And that's hard for me, because uh, I'm used to being the one that's making this stuff up. So that's what I'm trying to do is be self-disciplined enough to listen to the Lord uh, and get his direction for our lives. I think also like the idea of going out to people and reaching them where they might be feeling broken 
I think that's a place that Bob and I have both been. And I think the possibility of bringing people in our area together once or twice a week and talking about the challenges and kind of keeping us all on the path and learning and growing more in the word, I think that's something for me that's a huge priority. I used to be a big worrier. I would worry about everything. Thank you, Mom and Dad. And so since I found Christ, like I find like my anxiety is just I don't want to say completely gone, but diminished greatly. And the more that I'm in the Word, the stronger that I become. I mean, I'm just so grateful for Westside, I guess, just, you know, how it just, they, we just seem to like wrap around our community and it really, I feel like it's my rock. Like, I feel like it's my tool that I use to listen to God's Word and I don't know, it just strengthens me. I never felt part of a community like this before. I mean, I've been going to church for all my Christian life, probably 40 years, but I've never felt part of a community that is so involved uh, with the people all around Kansas City area, and the possibilities are, are limitless. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, what a great story. So, um Whenever I uh, need to drive to Lee's Summit, uh, I always take a nap before I go because it's so far away, <laughs> you know, and yet uh, we have found 38 households that come to Westside faithfully uh, from that area that are seeking to come together to be a little A2 community, to basically come alongside of each other and the people there to meet them at their point of pain and simply wrap God's love around them, whatever is needed and to see what God may have in mind, yeah. So here's my advice for you today. If you want to live, do you want to live? Yes. Then stop smoking <laughs> and get into a Christ-centered community. And a Christ-centered community distinguishes itself from just any old bowling league community or whatever else it is because it lives beyond itself and reaches out to people beyond them at their point of pain to see what God may do. Do you know this last week, maybe some of you saw it, this last week they came out with a national study on the states uh, that uh, struggle the most with mental health. I don't know if you saw this or not. And they listed them, uh, 51, 50 states plus Washington, D.C. And the measure was the prevalence of uh, mental health issues within the state and number two, the access to care. So those two predictors. Now, the number one state that's doing the best, has the lowest occurrence of mental illness, and it provides the greatest access is the state of Wisconsin. Yeah. You say, well, why Wisconsin? Well, they've come up with some research that shows that there's medicinal benefit in having a block of cheese on your head. You know? <laughs> I don't know why Wisconsin. But I want to talk about uh, number 51. So who is, who's got the most mental health struggles and has the least access to care? Somebody give you, so you think it's California, New York, or D.C.? None of them. Number 51, the state of Kansas. You know that phrase, we don't live in Kansas anymore? You know, you know when... Dorothy said that to Toto. What a, that has become a phrase that people use around the world. When you say, I don't live in Kansas anymore, you're saying, I'm outside of my safe place. 
I'm outside of my comfort zone. I'm outside of a good place. Do you know that right now we can't say that about Kansas anymore? We're number 51. We're going to put a link up, and you can uh, get it in the Westside Family Church app if you don't believe me, as well as the link that you see here. But what gives me so much emotion about this is that we entered into 40 days of prayer and fasting and God said I don't want you to focus on all the things churches focus on I want you to come alongside of people and love them at their point of pain particularly in the mental and emotional areas and now this study comes out afterwards identifying it as the greatest need in our city and in our state and God is saying see I told you, I wanted to tell you to do this before you had all the evidence that this is where you needed to focus. And so that's what we plan to do. And this is going to involve raising up a care center that has the resources and the people to be able to give more and more people access to not just care for their mental struggles, but to do it in the name of Jesus, which we think is ultimately the best way to go about it. And we want to raise up these little armies of area communities and A2 communities honeycombed throughout the Kansas City area to basically be there to wrap God's family around your family. And the reality is we currently do not have the resources to do that. We have some, but we don't have them. And that's a part of what Unshakable is all about. When we come to November the 20th, when we do our traditional Thanksgiving offering for now and the end of the year, we're going to be inviting everybody who calls Westside home to consider not just the end of the year, but in 2023 and 2024, how is generosity flowing out of you in such a way that if we collectively come together, we might be able, in God's strength, to do something that, hmm, that is, well, I've never seen. And so uh, one of the things that comes with your unshakable guide is a commitment card. The white one is for adults, and we have a special one for students. And we're going to uh, ask you to keep this card close by and to begin praying about it. Roseanne and I are, are doing it as well. And then on November the 20th, we're going to come, just like we always do, and come up on the stage and present our commitments, what we believe uh, God is calling us to do, the overflowing generosity. Um, and then we'll tell you where we're at and how much we're gonna be able to do uh, to make a difference in our community and beyond. Amen? The ultimate end game is that sometime in the next two years, somebody is gonna be watching you. Might be in your neighborhood, might be a student group, might be in your workplace, might be at the gym. And just like the Roman pagans experienced and Tertullian wrote down or just like I experienced in 1974 or Roger Wells experienced in the 90s, these people are going to be watching you and they're going to say one day, behold how they love one another. I wonder, would they let me be a part of their family? And when they ask the question, our answer will always be, Yes. Hallelujah. Father, we come to you now and we prepare to take a holy meal that the first century church, when they gathered together, uh, took 
to remind themselves of their relationship with you and how important this all is. That that meal, Father, wasn't just to fill up their stomachs, but rather it was a holy meal, remembering your body and remembering your blood that brings us to this missional way of life. And in this small meal that we now partake of, we remind ourselves that we are taking Christ in. We are taking Christ in to our bodies. And as we continue to take more of Christ into our bodies, eventually it will flow out in generosity. So today, Lord, we take this meal together in the name of your Son, who empowers us all. Amen. Church, the new sound of communion. We're not in Kansas anymore. The body of Christ. Church, the blood of Jesus. Now let's all be standing to our feet as we worship.